It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 131, The Death of King Solomon, and the Book of Ecclesiastes. Aged and worn-out Solomon pulled his weary body out of bed, changed and cleaned up, refused breakfast and entertainment, and went to his study. In his study, he sat at his desk. He covered his aged face and darkened eyes with his hands as he pulled back upon his gray and white hair. He breathed deeply and closed his eyes and let his heart run wild as multiple scribes struggled to keep up. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all this labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. Most scholars agree the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon at the end of his life. But this is not without controversy, because he did not sign the book. But the theme of the book fits quite in line with the end of Solomon's life. It's a super strange book. Imagine mixing olive oil and water and forgetting about it, and you later grab the glass and drink it. You'll be drinking oil and water, regardless of the timing and the drinking from the glass. The gift and callings of God are irrevocable as stated in Romans 11.29. Solomon had the gift of the waters of wisdom, and it's evident in the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's mixed with the oil of depression and sin and a life that's gone south. It's a weird book because it's the inspired word of God, but spoken through a very broken, sinful, idol-worshipping vessel. Let's discuss the gifts of God. Romans 11.29 declares once bestowed, they are irrevocable, which means God will not take them back. Take a minister that falls into sin. Whatever gifts he was given in his pursuit of God, these gifts remain. God doesn't take away his gifts. It's not his character. So the book of Ecclesiastes is a book written by a depressed and probably demonized man, but still he has the gift of wisdom given to him by God. That's probably why it's in the Bible, because it's still full of incredible wisdom. And the best reason it's in the Bible is its simple conclusion, which we'll end the episode with. I think of the witch doctor of sorts, Balaam, who God used to prophesy over Israel. It's in the Bible. Solomon, whose lifestyle is corrupted and nasty, gets to be used by God one last time, and it's a learning book. 
Here's another way to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Once I reflected upon my business career and the many bosses I've had, I wrote down their strengths and weaknesses and what I've learned from them. And funny enough, I think I learned more from the bad examples than the good because I don't want to be like the bad examples myself. Solomon is a bad example of a king at the end of his life. The beginning was superb. The end was terrible. That's the problem, but beauty of Ecclesiastes. You have to be sharp when you read Ecclesiastes to read between the lines. It also reminds me of the prophets. Take Isaiah. Most of the book is judgment words on nations and Israel, and these are hard to read at times. But if you can find the promises and hope within or around the judgment words, you can find incredible treasures. Ecclesiastes contains great treasures, but it's through the lenses of sinful, depressed, idol-worshiping man at the end of his life. Sometimes Haley's Bible handbook really nails it. He does so on Ecclesiastes with great brevity and clarity. Here's this section of his write-up in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1 and 2. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is the theme of the book. It embodies also an attempt to give a philosophical answer as to how best to live in a world where all is vanity. This book contains many things of superb beauty and transcendent wisdom, but its predominant strain is one of unutterable melancholy, so different from the Psalms. David, Solomon's father, in his long and hard struggle to build the kingdom, was forever shouting, rejoice, shout for joy, sing, praise to God. Solomon, sitting in peaceful security on the throne David had built, with riches, honor, power, and living in almost fabled luxury, was the one man in all the world whom would have been called happy. Yet his unceasing refrains was all is vanity. And the book, a product of Solomon's old age, leave us with the distinct impression that Solomon was not a happy man. The word vanity occurs 37 times. That's one of the general themes of the book and first two chapters, but it's mixed in with great nuggets of wisdom, of course. When we get to chapter 3, it gets pretty interesting. Check out the first part of chapter 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. If you recall the beginning, 
or the song at the beginning of the episode. It was written by the Birds in 1965 based upon Ecclesiastes 3. It's profound if you consider there's a time for everything. It puts vocabulary to the Issachar gift of knowing seasons from 1 Chronicles 12.32. But what's more powerful is Ecclesiastes 3.11. I'll read it again because it's so good. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is the root of the evangelistic message that God has placed a God-shaped hole in a person's heart that only God can fill. So we can't help but go back a bit and read more because Solomon basically made an autobiographical statement in Ecclesiastes 2, 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward of all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, Nothing was gained under the sun. So weird how he has such gifting and wisdom mixed in with his depression and meaningless type statements. Meaningless, vanity, chasing after the wind are common themes in the book. There's another phrase that continues all the way through as well. Ecclesiastes 8.15 So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in all of his work all the days of his life God has given him under the sun. Ain't that just weird? Because it should read, nothing is better for a man under the sun than to commune with and know God. Wisdom is not, there is nothing better for a man under the sun than to eat, drink, and be glad. Sounds an endorsement for sin and Epicurean lifestyle but it's contrary to the teachings of Jesus. Here's another strange and incorrect verse from Solomon. Ecclesiastes 10.10 A feast is prepared for laughter, and wine makes life happy, and money is the answer to everything. Obviously, money isn't the answer to everything. Jesus is. Everyone would agree this is not correct, that money is the answer to everything. But it revealed his heart of greed, or the facetious attempt to poke fun at himself. Solomon says the only delight we get in is seeing the work of our hands. This is probably because he delighted in the temple and the palace. But what about other things? The love of family, children, or the simplicity of our relationship and worship of God? It's just a funny book by a troubled yet gifted man. Solomon wrote a few verses in Ecclesiastes about his palace. 
which he terms later a house of pleasure. Ecclesiastes 7, 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the son of fools. For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This too is futile. It's like the end of Solomon's life, his energies were spent. He sees the folly of his ways. Ecclesiastes continues. Read it for yourself. It has a depressing and hopeless feel to it. But when you arrive at a verse that makes you think, wow, that was profound. Pause right there. Separate that nugget of wisdom and that profound statement from the context, which is kind of opposite of what we're doing with kind of biblical history, but take it out of the context, write it down separately, chew on the truth that you've discovered. It's a secret to getting to the heart of the living word in a book like Ecclesiastes. Before we get to our question pose, did Solomon make it to heaven? Let's discuss his death. 1 Kings eleven forty one. As for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the annals of Solomon? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel forty years. Then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son succeeded him. According to 1 Kings 11.41, Solomon died quite unceremoniously. But there's something interesting here. He actually only ruled 40 years. God promised him a long life, but he wasted it and didn't walk into this part of the promise. His first 23 years were passionate and productive and incredible, but he only had 17 years in his palace and they were terrible. His life was cut short by his love of foreign women. God promised him a long life, but he probably died before his 70s. In fact, he was probably around 50 when he moved into the palace, and he probably looked about 40 years old due to his lifestyle, but each year in the palace appears to have aged him an additional three years. And by the time he was 60, he probably looked like he was in his 70s, and another seven years of rampant sin brought him to the grave, and at the end of his life, it appears he composed the book of Ecclesiastes. So we arrive at the question posed to the silent audience lately. I can say downloads have really increased lately and the podcast audience has grown, especially even in the last month. But man, you guys have been giving me radio silence lately on feedback. So I'm going to have to make a stab at this one independently. So it's subjective to say if anyone has truly made it to heaven without, you know, going there and coming back. But I'm going to give an opinion. I believe if there was a giant worship hall in heaven and those who earned heaven's honor are allowed near the altar and those of lesser honor are at the very back of the hall, I would believe a person entering this room from the back could easily run into a man named Solomon at the back of the hall. And he would probably say these words, I just barely made it in. A man who used his gifts, but a man that threw them all away and just barely made it to heaven, almost like a born-again believer at the end of his life. 
If it's possible to lose your salvation, it appeared Solomon did. Yet he made it back to God in the end. And this belief is based upon the last words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 12, 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. In the end, after all of Solomon's successes and all of his failures at the end, he remembered the teachings of his father and the fear of the Lord. Despite his idol worship at the end of his life, he appears to have never lost sight of life and the Lord. No matter the blindness upon him, I believe at the end, he concluded all his sin and his walks with the devil were just chasing after the wind. And the real conclusion to life was to fear God and keep his commands. To conclude this episode, a message to kings, what can we learn from Solomon? Well, Solomon is the example of the hero at its height. I've heard ministers talk, and many of them speak of the temptations they've received when they were challenged at the lowest of lows. But honestly, the biggest concern from them, speaking to them, was when a man reached a mountaintop in life. For this was when many people have fallen. Is this where a person is to put their guard down and be like David and stay at home when the kings go to war? Well, basically, Solomon did this at the end of his reign. The rest of the Bible is loaded with flashbacks and teachings of Solomon and people reflecting upon his errors. In the end, he was destroyed by his relationship with foreign women. Not that foreign women was honestly the problem, but idol-worshipping and non-believing spouses, hundreds of them, was the problem. It's the teaching of Balaam. Pulled believers away from their worship of God by their lust for unbelieving women. David dappled in these waters of this river of temptation, and Solomon got swept away by them. I was reading the book of Nehemiah independently this week. What a book. It's like the perfect business book in the Bible and how to get things done. One guy leads his nation, and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in no time. When Nehemiah is also hardcore about leading the people back to God, and he actually referred to Solomon. And just because it's fresh, I'm going to quote it. Nehemiah 13.26 Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. The story of Solomon is an incredible one. He started so well and did so good, 
but in the end, he wasted the back half of his life. I talked to a 78-year-old man some years ago, and he asked me to pray for him. I asked him what for, and he said, to finish well. Isn't that powerful? Solomon basically hit his 50s and did the opposite. Except at the very end, where he appears to acknowledge the error of his ways. It's interesting to consider what could have been if he didn't fail at the end. Could have there been another generation to experience the golden age for Israel? Instead, disaster will be shortcoming. The obvious message of Solomon's life is the fear of the Lord. The secret to Solomon's gift of wisdom is found in this verse. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And at the end of Solomon's life, he writes these words, Ecclesiastes 12:13, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.